Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis, a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. And it is unfortunate that one of the disasters we need to be prepared to deal with as emergency managers and first responders are mass shootings to include school shootings. Today, we'll be talking about prevention measures and then also when unable to prevent, how should school shootings be responded to? My guest today is Meg Patino, a former law enforcement officer or a school resource officer, more specifically, and now a consultant with Haggerty Consulting. Welcome, Meg. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, well, excited may not be the right word to say on this topic, but when you're passionate about something, you're excited. So thank you for having me either way. All right. I really look forward to our conversation. Uh, and we'll be talking more about Uvalde during this, but it's been in the news and unfortunately remain in the news. Good thing is schools are generally out of session, so mass right. shootings can happen anywhere, as we've seen. Yes. So uh, briefly, Meg, what has been your career progression? How is it that you became involved with school, school safety? Sure. So I started my law enforcement career in 2009, um, and I was on patrol for several years. And I've always enjoyed really working with children. Uh, so it became a natural progression into that role of school resource officer. So I started that in 2013. Uh, the first couple weeks was a very big shocker going from patrol to working with elementary students um, who do not understand, don't hug a waste where items may be. It was, so it was, it was both uh, fun, invigorating, and a little uh, scary at the same time. But of course, I, I fell into it. I loved it. Um, and I, I've been working with emergency management in that type of discipline within law enforcement since about the same time. So those two passions and the professional world kind of molded together. And so I was a school resource officer for several years. And then in 2017, I was hired by the same district, school district in Columbia, South Carolina, which I worked in as a school resource officer. And so I was doing school safety and security slash little emergency management for a school district for a few years or a couple years, 2018. I went to University of South Carolina, was emergency management coordinator there for uh, their regional campuses and worked with the, the main flag campus as well. Um, and now I'm still in emergency management, just more in a, a glorified paper pushing type of role. Well, but no, uh, yeah, very important. Paper is our most important product. <laughs> yes, I'd like to think so. It, it's paying the bill, so I'll take it. But uh, the passion is definitely still there, still study and research and read a lot on school safety. And, and that's definitely, I think, where my passion will remain. Okay, so explain, you, you take a typical law enforcement officer, you know, mm -hmm. patrol beat cop, like you were, 
and now you're a school resource officer. So what's, what's that mean? What's the duties? You're not just on patrol in a school or multiple schools. Right. Explain the duties of a SRO. I, most people uh, probably have not heard. They know about them. They see them maybe, but don't know what they do. Sure. So it's definitely a, a multifaceted position within law enforcement. And it's one that I feel is the most important and beneficial and either in a negative or positive way can be the most long lasting um, image that some people have of law enforcement. But my job, I was in a school and the way I looked at it, so those are my streets. I patrolled my streets. I walked through the campus. I did daily security audits where I made sure what was in place was in, needed to be in place was in place. Um, but most importantly, we're building those relationships with those students to show them, you can come to me with a problem. I'm not here to lock you up, lock your parents up. You know, it's a common joke um, and in the right way, it's fun and you joke with them. That's important, can't take everything seriously. But the most important thing was, I was not only a law enforcement officer, but I was there to build relationships with those students and the community. And I, I taught some DARE classes as well. So that was a great way to get in there and really dive in and see kids a good bit. Okay, um, we're, we're acronym free, so. Uh, sorry, sorry, DARE, oh man, it's such a drug, I know. alcohol. Uh, I don't even know what the R stands. This is horrible. Oh, all the uh, DARE well, people the are gonna day, hate me. <laughs> one, of these, one of these previous things, I said FAA and I'm thinking, okay, what does FAA stand? Federal <laughs> Aviation Agency. Yeah, it's oh, something yeah. drug, alcohol, something education. Those are the most. Those are the three important words or <laughs> the words that I feel like are part of there. So, R is a. It's just there for you know, as a supportive word. Hopefully, it's not very important, but it's a great program. It's just teaching kids about. It's really about decision making and teaching them how to feel comfortable saying no to whatever they feel is not right for them. No to Sentinel, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. No to that. That yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I again, what community measures are appropriate that can be taken to keep people from acting out on impulses to go to a school and start shooting students and staff? I would say the the biggest community measure that we can do as a community or like I said, with the, as a school resource officers, those relationships, that is what is really going to be impactful and can truly, and, you know, I've read several stories of the school counselors or school resource officers or a principal or just a teacher or a custodian has happened several times um, that they have prevented school shootings just by one the student came to him and said I want to do this but I'm coming to you because I know you're the one person that listens to me cares about me and can stop me from doing this so building those relationships is incredibly important um, I think we also along with the lines of those relationships we really truly have to increase the number of school counselors and uh, psychologists because they, sure, teachers are there, principals are there, everybody's there to 
build those relationships. But those two disciplines or people have the expertise to do those things and truly provide the help that those students need. Um, threat assessments and trauma-informed training are huge. Um, National Threat Assessment Threat Assessment Center, NTAC, and the uh, Secret Service. That's where I was about to say FBI. Sorry, Secret Service. Uh, but they are incredible at what they do, and they have really pioneered the threat assessment program with um, just looking at people that may want to harm presidents or whoever. Um, so they they know what they're doing. They have great resources and that program and threat assessments will truly help with that. And you're also gonna have, important thing is we always see the red flags. There's always some type of red flag or leakage, which is someone saying, just giving someone, whether it's a friend or some random stranger on the internet that says, I'm gonna do this at this time, that's leakage. Um, I, I would say predominantly more often than not, they're cry for help. So the community needs to listen to that. Be okay with seeing these red flags, if you will. You can't see my air quotes, but they're there. Um, that's important. It happens. The American culture is, you know, snitching. It's not snitching. You're taking care of yourself and your neighbor and the people around you. Um, and then you support children emotionally and socially. And that goes along with the threat assessments because threat assessments aren't here to find the bad guys. It's to find what we need to find to help those students before we get to a school shooting. Okay. So there's there's a lot of things I could go on yeah, and on. That's fine. That's <laughs> As fine. I am. But there, there's well, a I, lot what, of different things. What when you were talking, I looked up drug abuse resistance education there. Oh, oh even man, I got two of the four wrong. <laughs> that's fine. I, I fully understand that we live in an acronym world. So. Yes, and DARE just, you know, oh, DARE, yeah, yeah. But sorry, sorry, everyone. All right. Well, I, we're really kind of drilling down from upper level down. So this is more of a global question. You're a former law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. You didn't want kids hugging your gun. Yeah, no, <laughs> Part of no. the deal, weapon. Yeah. Now, I was a career infantry officer and a, a director of security for a port. Uh, and each of those these positions, we we carried a weapon. What what's your takes on guns, types of guns, magazine capacity, and who can acquire them? This has been in the news because Congress has taken up a bill to um, really not address these harder items, but some of the softer piece right. of uh, mental health yep. uh, red flag laws, specifically yep. about. Um, people who shouldn't be having it. So what's your take on guns, ammo, all that? It's, it's a hot topic, it's a hot topic, Eric. Um, so my take is very generally, um, I think this is a discussion that become hours long on its own, but I don't have any issue with law abiding, not even law abiding because having a mental illness is not against the law. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, those that should have guns can have guns. I'm fine with it. Sure, do I think that, and again, I understand sporting. I love shooting. That's how I learned the craft. When I was in law enforcement, it became, it was fun. I enjoyed it. 
Um, but there aren't people that look at guns in that way. There are people that looking at guns um, from a, a perspective of this is how I'm going to handle my emotions. And that's where it becomes a problem. So I do think there needs to be universal background checks and um, you know, the red flag law, that's great too, to just kind of push something out there to say, this person needs to be looked at further before they purchase this. Um, but as far as magazine capacity and the types of guns, it's a hard, I, I have thoughts on either side. It's hard to say because okay. I, I think it's and, a slippery slope, but yeah, I, I do is, think there are people that need to be without uh, specific guns or the opportunity to get those guns. Yeah, I just saw a thing about the number of guns in the United States read it this morning that the United States and then Yemen is the country with, when you think about percentage of guns to population. That, per you know, capita. First wow. we've had a civil war and that, that's it. Right, right. Um, so do you think what's being proposed in Congress, we talked before, we didn't have anything that we could even look at is a step in the right direction? I think if they're just like school safety, it's a very layered approach. One thing does not fix the whole puzzle, the whole problem. Uh, just like these laws I was looking today and you know, you have the Eagles Act and then you have Luke and Alex School Safety Act and you have one that Cruz, Ted Cruz just put in and it's the, Safe Kids, Safe Schools, Safe Communities Act. And then you have Protecting Our Kids Act. And then the Safe Schools Improvement Act of 21. All this together address, um, one of them specifically, I have to say, works towards offering the intact, the National Threat Assessment Center through Secret Service, their services for the nationwide, for all schools. That is huge. Um, funding's huge. You talk to any superintendent, principal, they say, why aren't you doing this? I don't have the money for that. Funding's huge. Um, so am I hopeful? Uh, because yes and no. I know knee-jerk reactions happen and people are like, oh, we got to do something, we do it, and then it falls to the wayside. Um, and politics are difficult because um, what's good for society or the community is not always what's pushing things forward as far as legislation. So I'm hopeful, yes, because there's there's several pieces out there that any one of them helps in some way. But, it, you know, I think it's too early to tell if I'm truly hopeful because they're all, you know, in the early stages. But I, I want to hope for humanity this time that there is something to help the mental health issue, increasing the age, the universal background checks, red flag laws, all these things. Okay. Well, before we take a break, I want to ask um, a question. You know, it's common today for schools to have active shooter drills. What types of actions are schools taking instructing the staff and students to do? Um, so there's a lot of different things and, and it's difficult to say what is put out there and given as far as training and instruction and education, because uh, there's there's nothing nationwide 
to have everybody on the same playing field. So um, you have active shooter drills and then the actions that they're they're taking or you know you have lockdown lockout versions of that you have avoid deny defend run hide fight all these different things you have the i love you guys foundation the standard response protocol they all kind of push a similar thing out there of um, if there's a problem inside the building you lock down meaning lights off doors should be locked um, and you get out of sight so there's what are called hard corners of when you you stay out of sight. Um, there's uh, one thing that's important is schools are, and most of them are doing this, I think more need to do it is you need to understand that your schools are your first line of defense. So you have instructions that you're to alert your school and all the people in it, visitors, faculty, staff, students, um, and not in code words, just say the words plainly. Plain language, so, right? Plain language, right? Because your visitor doesn't know what code red means. Yeah. Um, so, and alert the school before you call 911 because you are your own first line of defense. Um, so that there's a ton of different things, you know, don't open doors, exterior doors for strangers that you don't know if they don't have a school badge or anything like that. Uh, metal detectors, you have a lot of, a lot of different pieces there that are kind of, coinciding with the active shooter drills okay um there is a model called run hide fight which appears to be more adult focused for um violence in the workplace mm -hmm. type of thing uh yeah i don't see 10 year olds trying to fight back correct against that's what, yeah <laughs> it, do you see run, hide, fight as being more a workplace and doesn't apply to the, the school itself? Correct. Uh, that started as a workplace instructional video. Um, and I think that is where it is most applicable. No, I am not, and nor did I, nor would I ever tell anyone of ele at an elementary school age to fight someone with a gun. That, yeah. No. Um, I... If I'm, I'm going to choose one, I'm going to choose avoid and I defend because I think it opens it up to more options. Um, you know, we have a lizard brain until we think about things and we get ourselves in a place where we have thought about things so that we can act because where the mind does not bend, the body will not go. Um, so defend to me, uh, it leaves it open. Fight, that's what somebody is going to remember is fight. So, no, I, I feel like... Um, run had fight is going to be definitely more for an adult level uh, workplace, maybe okay. college, but yes, right. not K through 12. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to be taking that quick break. And when we come back, we'll be discussing how police tactics and school security have changed after the Columbine shooting from over 20 uh, years ago. And then we'll get into Uvalde. Uh, also, so stay tuned and we'll be right back after this message. This podcast is being sponsored by Cobra, an emergency management software solution. Cobra provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit cobrasoftware.com. And we are back and we're talking with Meg Patino 
um, about school shootings, how to prevent them, how to respond to them, what are some of the mitigation measures we can we can do. And one of the things, um, Sandy Hook, I, I didn't, haven't done a deep dive in that, but I, I did read something that the school had done everything possible for the facility that they had. They, their front door was locked. You know, yep. someone couldn't just walk in. Correct. Uh, type of thing. They, they had their um, school lockdown procedures in place. They practiced them all that. And still you had a terrible tragedy. But what, what can be done to modify existing schools or the procedures or as we build new schools to, in order to harden them to the point where uh, a determined shooter has more difficulty. Sure. And that's, that's kind of the thought of if somebody truly wants to do something, they're going to find a way to do it. However, deterrence is um, much more valuable than we know. It's, you can't measure it because do we know that a locked door deterred somebody and they were like, okay, you're right. I'm not going to do this. I walked away. We'll never know. Um, but like said, Sandy Hook, um, he shot through the front glass doors and walked in. I've read that it was because the door was locked. I've also read that it was because he was a germaphobe and didn't touch door handles. Both are very believable to me, knowing what I know about the perpetrator. So there's there's a lot of things that a school, school district can do uh, to harden a school, if you will, to try to deter these acts, to mitigate, prevent. Um, single point of entry, that's definitely probably going to be more applicable and in line with a culture of elementary school. Uh, but the more entries, free entries that you can cut down to, the better. Uh, cameras, they're, they're great for after action. No, unless you have someone that watches every single one, every single moment that anyone's in that building, they're great for after the fact. Um, a lot of people think cameras are end all be all and not, not really. Fencing. Fencing is another deterrent. You can have metal detectors. You have panic buttons in front offices. You can have uh, push button door handles where um, in the moment of stress, holding a key and getting in that little hole is hard. So you push it, that button, and it locks the door. So that's, that's a good option. Um, and the, I would say the number one thing that you can do to see how, what new physical security policies or measures um, that you can do for your school is have an audit. Look at what your school has before you decide what your school needs. Because uh, there's things that you could put in that if you look at it, it isn't really beneficial for you. It might be for the school across the town. Um, but another implementation, another policy may be a, a better strategy. So you're going to have a lot of options when it comes to it. But again, it's a layered approach. A fence isn't gonna stop it. None of these are end-all be-alls. They're just options to create that layered approach to harden your school. So it's not as easy to infiltrate and create these and carry out these acts. It's like, um, I'm sure as a police officer, you've gone someone who's been burglarized and you ask, was the house locked? And they say, well, no. You know, well, why should I? It's my house. Nobody yeah. should come in. Well, you're yeah, very I've, right about that. I've never had anybody 
we've never had that problem before. Right. First time for everything. And then, you know, did you have any guns in the house? Were they stolen? Well, I have a safe, but I didn't, wasn't using it at the time. And all those types of things. There's oh, yes. So many. But, well, let's talk about that. Columbine was a <coughs> significant event in that how police and firefighters actually respond to shootings. Um, if you would, contract, contrast before Columbine and then tactics being taught today after Columbine for both fire and police. Sure. So uh, primarily for law enforcement, Columbine was kind of the last era of you set a perimeter, you hold what you have, you make sure they don't flee around the building, house, in this case, school, Columbine High School, and you wait for specialized units, aka SWAT team. Um, and they would then come with what they would need, the tools that they would need and the manpower to go in and find the threat and then eliminate it. Uh, fire would wait outside the perimeter until they got the call that it was safe to move in. Uh, EMS the same. So after Columbine, one of the huge things in the AAR, which is after action report, uh, was that this can no longer be our practice while we're sitting out here and we're, we're supposed to take care of these people and protect their lives, there's active shooting going on. And that's what started the big thing about active shooter and in, in schools was we can't do this anymore. We have to go in. So after Columbine, it quickly became, and this Columbine was in 1999. So this wasn't five years ago. This was a while ago. Yeah, so then, three years ago. Yes. I'm not good at math, but that sounds great to me. <laughs> so after Columbine, quickly after Columbine, it became first officer on scene goes inside um, and you, you go towards the threat and you have to pass bodies. You have to pass the injured because your job is to eliminate the threat. Firefighters, EMS at this point, we have trained together. We have we have now have uh, teams where there's uh, EMS and fire that are trained to go in. You know, they're surrounded by like a diamond shape of law enforcement that have the guns and shoot uh, if need be. But they now go in them with, with them. As soon as that first officer goes to take care of that scene, they're sending these teams in to start dealing with the injured that need help, medical assistance and getting them out. So it's a very, very... Um, big 180 change on how we deal and respond to these scenes. Okay. Like say, it's no, don't secure and wait for the SWAT team to show up. No, no, no. I mean, if the SWAT team happens to be right there and they go with you, that's great. But I knew um, when I was a school resource officer, I was at, you know, sure, backup could arrive three minutes. They could arrive 13 minutes. And my staff knew. It was a, it is a joke now, and they still laugh at it and tell me this. But I would say, like, if I can drop you a band aid because you fell and hurt your knee, I'll do that. But I, I'm gonna have to step over you, and it's important for them to understand that because it's no longer, oh, well, I've injured. I'm gonna stop here and hold this and set a perimeter and get some specialized unit in. Right. It's you go and deal with the threat, alone or not. 
So, I mean, uh, I'm going to switch to Uvalde. There are just so many aspects of the botched police response. And I, I just did a blog post on this yesterday. I don't, I don't know if it's posted yet or not, but it's been a drip, drip, drip of little pieces of information. I, you know, I could tell it on day one that things were screwed up. Just yes. By observing what, what happened. But then we keep hearing more uh, about it. But from your perspective and with the information available, which who knows what the next revelation will say. Right. And knowing what has changed over time, what are your thoughts about that terrible tragedy and, and the response? Um, and like, like you said, that this isn't an after action report that we read where a team has gathered all the information and right. wrote out right. X, Y, and Z, this happened, this did not happen. Um, so as former law enforcement, I know what it's like for people to say, oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't, because, you know, they're Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, but I, I do know an, enough about what should happen um, without knowing every single detail that I think I can kind of give an overall picture of what maybe wasn't done right. Um, but like I said, with the little, little tidbits that are morsels that are dropped here and there, um, there was a, from the beginning, there, there was a huge lack of communication, um, incident command, um, Arredondo, the school district police chief, um, like we were talking about earlier, um, didn't even take his radios in because he said it would weigh them, weigh him down. Um, so that's a problem because he trained to carry all that in and knew that should have been carried in. Um, there was no one leading this response. And you have multiple agencies there, Border, border Patrol, County, City, School District, however many others. Someone needs to take charge. Whether that person says that they didn't think they were incident commander or not, your district uh, police chief. That is your job to either if you're not going to do it you know who's going to do it you don't just leave it open um, there has to be some type of communication control to feed all the information in yeah. it's like we heard and, is good yeah no and i think if there's incident command it's on the outside you know, right no it's you not have an entry team going in that's that's your operational element but someone's right. got to be setting up a staging area for the medical for additional resources and know when, you know, a SWAT team shows up, you know, where you're going to position them, that they're there, and you know that they're there and available, briefings, maps, you know, all, all that. None of that, I don't think, appeared, happened. It, Correct. It a few officers inside the school building. Yeah, and and as I think this just came out yesterday, was they said that they were outgunned, so that's one reason they didn't go in. Um, and then you have the footage from the school where they're sitting there and every officer that I saw had a long gun, yeah. and, meaning and they could couple, match it, if not overpower them. A couple of ballistic shields. Ballistic shields, yep. Um, and then again, is this true or not uh, that the door wasn't even locked? And they said that they tried, it, it's just too many failures that Columbine, yes, we knew an overall uh, response approach what needed to be done. We learned that. Parkland, we learned what 
didn't need to happen um, and on individual basis for school resource officer or the school district uh, for training on active shooters. Uh, this just felt like a huge combination of Columbine and Parkland together. I mean, it, it was, I think the only time someone took control and did what they needed to do were border patrol officers, I believe it was, that came in and said, tell me what you need, tell me, we'll deal with it afterwards, I'm going in. And they dealt with it like that. Yeah, um, yeah. That should have happened an hour before it did, yeah. for sure. Well, uh, they've, it's been stated it's going to require a Department of Justice investigation, which has commenced. Yep. They don't have a dog in the fight, so they, they're a neutral party to go in there and really right. detect what, what happened, what, what's in. It's right. a very sad situation. It, it definitely is because there, there's, there's, you know, children, I, they probably were bleeding out. Right. Meaning had they gone in there with at least law enforcement and pulled them out, they could have saved some. And do we know that that could have changed anything? No, but I, I can say that in other cases, it has. Yeah, um, no. One of the teachers and, died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, I think. Right. You have time to call your husband and tell him that you're dying? Like law enforcement has time to get in there. And yeah, I mean, again, it. I will be much more passionate and um, accusatory once the after action report comes out and I have information to, that has been vetted to truly speak from, but I, I don't think that anything you or I have said is out of line from yep. what has happened. Well, last item. Any final thoughts for people who have school age children about what they should be telling the kids talking to their school administrators about and planning for. I, you know, one of the things I've found interesting, we always are concerned about inner city schools, that type of thing. I, there hasn't been a, a mass shooting at an inner city school. No. These have all These been suburban, are, yep. small These are town rural. Types, type of events. So uh, you can't say to yourself what can't happen here from that standpoint. So what, what do you tell Kids, what do you tell their parents? What do you tell the administrators? What those three different groups, what would your messages be? Oh, I tell them, oh, so many things. Um, first for the parents is get involved. Know what your school districts are teaching and telling your students to do. And if the students wanna talk about it, if they start asking questions, that means they wanna talk about it, talk about it with them. Um, and, and times right after a mass shooting, school shooting is probably not the time to bring it up if they don't and discuss it. Um, again, I'm no counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, so I, I can't say what you should do. Um, I know the American School Counselor Association has great information. Um, and their website is schoolcounselor.org, www, if you want to go get information there. Um, but I do know that if they ask questions, talk to them, keep it age appropriate, um, and, but really get involved. Get involved on the side of the school, join PTA, ask the principal of your school, what is being taught? What are the, how are they receiving training? Uh, make sure it's age appropriate. Make sure um, 
that it, there's no trauma that's coming from these trainings. And if it is, talk to your school about it, um, especially elementary age kids. Um, ask them how they feel, for sure. That, that's, you can't go wrong asking your child how they feel and take it from there. If you need to seek professional help, definitely do it. It, it can't hurt. Let them talk it out, get it out, and it could be fine. If they bottle it, bottle it up, it could become something bigger later because uh, it is a passionate and difficult topic to discuss. Um, with principals, you are the leader of your school. If you don't do it and implement it and look to try to find ways to do things, there's many ways that you can do things that are inexpensive. Um, and don't be afraid to talk about it. Again, just like with parents, it's a difficult topic, but we have to have these discussions. We didn't not talk about fires when we had children dying in schools because of fires, we dealt with it. Um, so the important thing is to deal with it. Look, be open to researching and learning about what you can learn about with this um, so that you or yourself are educated and informed. Um, and, and who else? <laughs> I think I'm missing a, I think, a population. I think, that... I think you covered it. Oh, okay. Well, great, great, great. I, I appreciate what you said about not not everything has to cost money, you know. So if you don't have locks on doors, think about well, how would you blockade a door? Do you have those exactly old style desks you can uh, shove up against it? Uh, if there's windows on the door, can you have a piece of paper and tape where you just slap that up there and so absolutely all, all get creative. Small little steps. But, That's right. They're all just little pieces of the puzzle. Well, I think uh, one of the things I appreciate is that um, as a law enforcement officer, you're more direct. You know what I mean? You, sure. You're not yes. the type to tiptoe around it. More no. Close, you know what I mean? Um, no, I think it's uh, it's not a topic that tiptoeing is not doing us any, any justice. It's not doing us any good. So, no. All right. So, again, I just want to thank Meg for being the guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I had a, a great time and uh, happy to talk about it anytime. All right. And, you know, since our nation now has more guns than we do people, we all need to be better prepared to do what we can to prevent these shootings from occurring. As Meg has shared with us, there's all a role we can play. And um, when we do, should there be a shooting, unfortunately, to respond as quickly and efficiently as possible and learn from the mistakes of the past, uh, as we've discussed here. And now a reminder to everyone, be proactive. Think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster. If you like this Disaster Zone podcast, please share it with your email and social media contacts. Thanks for listening and be safe. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.